Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal. Boys and girls, Ty Hildenbrand here. Dan Rubenstein right on over there. Hello, Dan. Ty, your voice is spectacular today. I must commend you on the the sultry tones and dulcet notes that you're hitting today. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Solidverbal at gmail.com is the email. Hit us up at 408verbal1. Find us on Facebook, on FanCred, and on Twitter. Yes, the sweet, sweet dulcet tones, I believe, are due to the fact that I was at a wedding yesterday on a college football Saturday. Okay. And, you know. How as thoughtful it, of the bride and groom. Uh, as it were. Mm-hmm got a little too into some of the music you know yelling some of the lyrics while i'm out there on the dance floor dan what what were you yelling now we'll get into this but i, I like the tease here i've got some news from the way we'll, we'll discuss the wedding a little bit later but i mean um, you are you are nothing if not an ambassador for strong wedding opinions oh yeah a delivery system especially nowadays yeah yes but you know yelling a little pit bull a little blurred lines going falsetto <laughs> Okay. We're, we've enough. got a raspy situation going on here today, but I'm glad you enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, what happened in the world of college football, Dan? Because while I was scouting for a TV, True. I could only assume that you were nestled in front of like eight of them at once. So what was your general takeaway from week five? Uh, general takeaway was, I mean, going in, we sort of said that it didn't seem like a huge slate of interesting games, but that's generally when things get unseasonably close or unusually unreasonably close, seasonably, reasonably, whatever the case may be. Uh, or as the kids call it, whack, whack, right? Whack. Yeah. Uh, Florida state obviously needed four full ass quarters to defeat NC state on the road. I thought that was pretty big, especially with Jacoby Brissett. Um, Texas A&M and Arkansas went back and forth and it ultimately was as strange as it may sound, uh, Texas A&M second half defense. That was the difference in that game. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting to me. Everett Golson really just step after step forward as Notre Dame's quarterback, even though it was just Syracuse, it's a decent Syracuse team. Uh, and Everett Golson really, I, you have to commend him for taking that year off to only play <laughs> football and not go to school in San Diego. That. Heroic, courageous, whatever the case may be, I'm glad he got to practice his craft in paradise. Hey, you know what? You can make fun of him if you want, but you know as well as I, most of the guys who are quote-unquote in school are just playing football and not going to class anyway. So at least there weren't any guises with what Golson did last season. Uh, I would say Notre Dame. I mean, you're you're probably going to school, and you're at least helping the tutors do your work at Notre Dame. So this I, is true. I, I respect that, and so yes, Everett Golson looked as as accurate and as polished as we've seen him. So that was that was very fun to see from a football perspective. Mizzou and South Carolina were as good in evidence. Actually, Mizzou and South Carolina, as well as Tennessee and Georgia, were as thorough a uh, thorough pieces of evidence as we needed to conclude that who's going to win the SEC East. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good question. Four headed monster of possibilities. Um, not a ton of offense in Stanford, Washington, which should not surprise anybody. Uh, we'll get into all these games. I was going to say, you got to save some of this for the actual review. No, no. This is, this is just the, the, the table of contents, the Dan Tyler. Rubenstein capsule edition. Yes. And also that, and we will definitely get into this. Amir Abdullah makes me want to be a better man. Amir Abdullah. Yeah. Amir Abdullah. Yeah. He's ridiculous. He's very, very good at the football. So those are your headlines. Ah. We're going to write the little novellas that are our weekly wrap-ups to come soon. But I feel like you have something we should be listening to before then. I do. The 
the best part about the game day feature on the SEC Wives was Layla Kiffin saying, hey, don't look at me. I don't pick out his clothes. Hey, it's Joe from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Kevin from Val Dam, Dusted, Georgia. This is the Panda Bear calling from Wrenchler. Hey, this is Bill in Buffalo. I just want to know at what point can I wonder if Virginia Tech game wasn't week two because right now Ohio State looks pretty good and JT Barrett looks like he's in control of the offense. I'm a Penn State fan my whole life and graduate. I'll tell you what, I think the Catholic Golden Girls can block better than our offensive line. Reporting live as State College, Pennsylvania. Confirming that the Cats bump is real, as long as you're a Wildcat team. I'm a big Northwestern fan, and I'm psyched to see them get off the schneid against Penn State. Penn State definitely doing their best Matador impression today. Ole! James Franklin of Penn State, welcome to the Big Ten. Your farts smell too. I don't know that you've verbed the uh, show's favorite android yet, but my USF Bulls just got Mel Gore. Mel Gore. Activated. That Michigan performance wasn't even worth a bottle of RC Cola. The Michigan thing has gone from somewhat hilarious to outright depressing and totally anger-inducing. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Go. Please give me Jim Harbaugh, please. I don't think I can do this anymore. Michigan hired a Domino's guy to be its AD and a guy who loves Domino's to be its coach. Is this really that big of a shocker? What a satisfying day to be a Golden Gopher fan. Jerry Kill, absolutely incredible. The program is back to respectability. Now that Missouri has beaten South Carolina, by the transitive property of college football victories, does that make Indiana the current head of the SEC East? Why would you not take the Vols to cover against Georgia? 17 and a half points? Are you kidding me? How did Mizzou win that game? That was, that was just unbelievable. I wasn't sure going into it, but after that, I'm definitely sure that with the ambidextrous Australians, we are now all officially Arkansas fans. Oh, Bert. Oh, Bert. What in the world just happened there, Bert? Can we officially call this a hogging? I mean, my gosh, up 14 points in the fourth quarter, and we lose on two bombs of 60-plus yards, and that's the only thing you can't do. Kentucky is 3-1. and one. We're tied for second place in the SEC East. We're going to beat South Carolina next weekend. We're coming for everybody. You know it, Ty. You know it, too, Dan. We're coming. We're winning the East this year. Kentucky, you heard it here first. Kobe Brissett did his best Russell Wilson impression in a losing effort. All I got to say is Connor Holiday and a winning effort. Go Cougs. Is Texas Tech the most swaggiest dumpster fire you've ever seen? Why is Syracuse wearing pajamas? How many goats is Danny Cannell having to sacrifice per week just to keep the state relevant? Sorry for calling multiple times like a crazy ex-girlfriend, but I just had to call and comment on the Patriot League. I never cared about this league until you started covering them. Now Lehigh lost this week and Colgate won. I don't know how to feel. Please tell me how to feel. Ah, there you have it, Dan. Week five reverbs. Again, big thanks to solid verbal intern Taylor from Red Shell Radio for helping us out, putting those together. A lot of emotion, Ty. I'm coming down from that emotional roller coaster. Dan, a shocker in the world of college football. 
A shocker. <gasps> no, I'm not talking about you acing both of your locks from last week. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Weiss fired from Kansas. What were my locks? You had Washington plus eight, even though okay. I don't think you knew it, but you had Washington plus right. eight. Yeah. My, well, no, my gut said Stanford minus eight, but then you told me that it was actually, if I were going with the score I was going with, it would have been Washington plus eight. Yeah. So you had that one right. And then you had Texas 23 to nil over Kansas, right. which as one Twitterer yeah. pointed out, your lock could directly be responsible for the demise of Charlie Weiss from Kansas. I can't stress enough, Ty. Surest thing in college football picking. You got it right, but Weiss got it obviously very, very wrong, as Bruce Feldman put it on Twitter. Right. Kansas was held to one touchdown or less in five of its last six games against Power 5 teams. Mm-hmm. They lost to a grain. Rice. Charlie Weiss living the American dream paid so much money to not work by both Notre Dame and Kansas. It's like $26 million. Not bad. Not that's Charlie Weiss would be an A-list actor. That is his going rate to barely work in a year. <laughs> that is what Charlie Weiss is right now. Did you see the, the Brett McMurphy quote, what he wants to do with his, when he's done coaching his life? Wants to cut grass, relax, and listen to, was it Bon Jovi and bon Springsteen? Yep. So he's going to have a, I would imagine, a large yard somewhere that's going to need some tending to. Oh, my God. Well, Weiss is out. The yeah. long national nightmare is over in Lawrence, Kansas. He was something like 6-22 and 22 in his tenure. Mm-hmm. As football coach, he sort of got the impression from the very get-go that that was not going to work out so well, and lo and behold, it did not. The other coaching news I want to bring up, actually, you know what, we'll save this for our Michigan capsule a little later on, but there was some news about Brady Hoke leaving yeah. Shane Morris in the game, some questions about whether he was concussed. Mm-hmm. Let's start, though, with Florida State NC State, Dan. Talk about an unlikely shootout. 56 to 41 was your final score. For those of you playing the home game, and I know you're out there because we get tweets from you. Mm -hmm. This game would have been a Clemsoning. Yes, it would have been a Clemsoning. If things had shaken out a little differently for NC State, this would have been a Clemsoning. Now, speaking of which, last weekend's win against Clemson was an emotional roller coaster for Florida State. Mm-hmm. And maybe we didn't look enough into that when we were trying to figure out who our locks were going to be for this coming week. Just because Florida State's the number one team in the country right. doesn't mean that they can't have let down games too. Sure. And, and I think we saw some of that here by the Florida State defense because NC State scored very quickly, 24 points on its first couple drives, went up 24 to seven. Florida State had nine penalties, four turnovers. They were not sharp for a large swath of this football game. And just in looking at this from afar, I think there was a little bit of a letdown here. Yeah, there certainly was a letdown. And it's it's sort of a symptom of the fact that Florida State was historically good last season in terms of how efficient they were on both sides of the ball and so talented and so deep and so healthy everywhere that the bar was placed impossibly high. So when we see... A, a definite improved NC state team, a definitely improved team, take it to Florida state for three quarters. And Jacoby Brissett was fantastic making these miracle plays and wriggling himself out of the, the grasp of sacks. 
Um, it's a combination of NC State really, you know, they're they're going to uh, or Florida State's going to get the best effort and best shot of everybody they play. That's that's the result of playing such a good year last year. In the case of North Carolina State, the secondary for Florida State was insanely inconsistent. The offensive line was was letting NC State through. Jameis Winston under pressure almost the entire game. Uh, and looked good through a couple more picks. Florida state needs to correct their turnover problem, both in terms of interceptions yeah. and fumbles. We thought the offensive line was going to be a lot better, especially that, that left tackle cam Irving was insanely good last year. And this season he has been pedestrian at best. He had a hard time last week against Clemson. Vic Beasley and Clemson went to Cam Irving. Obviously, NC State was in the backfield uh, the entire time, almost, or at least the three first three quarters against Florida State. Jameis still made fantastic throws. Rashad Green is one of, if not the best receiver in the ACC. Uh, so, and then Carlos Williams runs big. I don't know how if there's a better way to say that, but he is he steamrolls and needs seven to eight hands to take him down. If that sounds weird in your head, it should because it sounded weird in mine upon listening to it back. So. Florida State, high standard, came through and won because they're too deep and too talented uh, not to over the course of four quarters. But yes, this is a Florida State team that I think we can just characterize as very good, not perfect or near perfect, as I think a lot of people expected. It's such a good point. The bar is so high for Florida State because this team was just loaded last year and they're still loaded Mm -hmm. this year. It just may not be as indestructible as it was back in 2013. Sure. It's easy to look at this score, Dan, and say, what was the defense doing? Right. But I think if you actually go through the game, if you look to see what happened, you'll see that after that first quarter, the team really was able to get its act together, forced three turnovers in the second half enabled that offense to score on five of six second half drives. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Carlos Williams, Rashad Green, very big clutch performances for those two guys. And then there's Jameis Winston, you know, love the guy, hate the guy still very, very good. 365, four touchdowns through the air needs to cut down on the interceptions, but right. Florida state's still in a very good place. I do remember this though, last year at this time, we started wondering, and we had already drawn our conclusions that Florida state was not going to lose all season. If you were to ask that same question now, given what Florida State has on the schedule, is the answer still, yes, they're unbeatable? I don't know if it is. I, there's definitely a much greater shot of Florida State going down this year. I'm not saying they lose to Notre Dame. I don't honestly believe that at this point, but right. I think it's possible. I'm not saying they go to Louisville the following week on a Thursday night and lose that game. But whereas last year, I would have said there's just no yeah, chance in hell. Look that good. No, Louisville doesn't at all. But again, right. Thursday night, strange things. Florida State hasn't necessarily blown out any of these power five teams. So um, you're looking at this now all of a sudden saying, ah, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. But at least there is a shot. This is definitely a different team than we saw a year ago. Yeah, I, I would say right now, in terms of what Florida State is getting inconsistency wise on both lines, because they were not able to, I mean, even when they were able to get to Jacoby Brissett, they were not finishing tackles, finishing sacks, whatever the case may be. They just look sloppy at times. Um, there, there's Alabama, there's Oklahoma, there's Florida State, and there's Oregon, maybe Baylor. But I don't think definitively you can say, and we'll learn a lot more about Alabama this week against a, an Ole Miss team that's certainly better than Florida, Yeah. Um, about who can actually separate themselves from that top pack. And Auburn obviously is in that conversation. There's a couple of other teams. But um, Florida State certainly has not. And I think we can with certainty say Florida State is not um, just demonstrably better than either any of those teams that I just named. Yeah. And by the way, Dan, it feels like the kind of year where everyone could end up with one loss. Sure. That's not out of the At question. Least, 
yeah. not out of the question at all. All right. Next game. Um, no, the only other thing I need to mention here, you mentioned Florida, and I saw mm-hmm. Ryan Nanny, Celebrity Hot Tub. Who? Mentioning that uh, Jacoby Brissett mm-hmm. had a nice game, 359, three touchdowns. Yeah. This might be the best thing this season thus far for Florida fans. <laughs> Well, you know what? If Jeff Driscoll transferred and went somewhere, I'm not putting I'm not saying that he wouldn't be good either. Oh, God. Elsewhere in the ACC, I mentioned Notre Dame. Yeah. The Irish win. The Irish cover the point spread ever so barely against mm-hmm. Syracuse. So I was wrong here. If you took my advice, if you picked Syracuse plus the 14 and a half. And this was pretty late in the game that they were it, able to move the ball. Yeah, it was pretty late in the game. Look, a, a sloppy game. In many regards for Notre Dame, five turnovers, eight penalties. Notre Dame was not at its sharpest, but they were good enough. And as you mentioned, Everett Golson, 362, four touchdowns. He's really good. Mm -hmm. He's really developed a rapport. Got to grip those spikes. Got to when spiking the ball, really got to grip it. (laughs) That's that's my note for for Mr. Golson. Well, he looked really sharp. He has looked sharp all season. Um, What do you think about Notre Dame? this coming week against Stanford. Um, I think it's interesting. And one of the things, and we'll get to the Stanford Washington game as, as sort of exampled by what I'm about to say, Stanford might have the best pass defense in the country. I don't know how many teams that they've played that we can draw definitive conclusions regarding their pass defense, but their secondary is, is very experienced and they're very good in the open field. And a lot of, a lot of teams obviously with spread looks are trying to get the ball in space to, to speed and playmakers and Stanford's good at, at mitigating that, especially as we we've seen them perform at the, the high level they have these past couple seasons against Oregon, who does that as well, if not better than pretty much anybody. Um, and so Everett Golson against the Stanford secondary, both in terms of coverage and in terms of what Golson will get uh, with yards after the catch, I think is going to be an insanely interesting. I'm saying insane a lot, a, a markedly interesting matchup. And uh, I, I'm curious about creativity. That game is in South Bend, correct? South Bend, yeah. Kevin, Kevin Hogan and David Shaw on the road and what they're able to do on like third and sevens, what they're able to do on from like the 19 yard line when Ty Montgomery can't just truck over three groups of people like he did against Washington. I think that's going to be enormous. And looking at both of those teams, it seems like it's going to be low scoring just because Stanford's defense looks that good. And uh, Notre Dame's defense certainly looks uh, maybe not at the level it's been these past couple seasons, but improving and getting dangerous and getting David Shaw and his red zone looks always a good thing. So I, I think low scoring ever Golson against the Stanford secondary is what now I'm, I'm very excited about. Yeah. And hopefully we'll hear something soon on the status of the five players who were suspended due to academic misconduct. I say, hopefully, yeah. hopefully for purely selfish reasons because Stanford and Florida state are right around the corner Yeah, for the Irish. That's going to be an interesting matchup. We'll preview that one on Wednesday, but the Irish win 31 to 15. Anything else to take away? Will Fuller had a very nice day. Will Fuller looked very good. Big play guy. Uh, Corey Robinson got some work as well. They still need to get that rushing attack going. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it's Bryant and Folston. Oh, Bryant, Folston, McDaniel, essentially a three headed. I wouldn't say monster, a three headed citizen. Right. In the, in the backfield for Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm concerned about that. They got to get that squared away. Maybe they're saving something for Stanford. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, OK. Clemson downing North Carolina 50 to 35. A monster game for Deshaun Watson. Wow. I, I think the biggest upset of the day is that we're, we're talking about so many ACC, ACC games right away. Oh, I'm going to rip through these. Don't worry. Okay. We're, not, we're not going 
in depth with all of these. All I wanted Good. to say is that Deshaun right. Watson, yes, four thirty five passing, six touchdowns. UNC a solid offense for sure, but can't stop oh, anyone. And had fifteen penalties in this game, Dan. Oh yeah, I I, I want to think about last year's Belk Bowl, where those two teams, North Carolina and Cincinnati, defensively, where those two teams are at right now. Yeah, I don't know what's in the water at the Belk Bowl, but it's not sure tackling and good coverage. <laughs> it's not that. Elsewhere in the ACC, very quickly, Miami covers the spread, gives Duke mm-hmm. its first loss, 22 to 10. Yep. Nice game for Duke Johnson. Um, the state of Virginia fared quite well. Virginia hammering Kent State. Virginia Tech taking it to Western Michigan. Louisville ho-humming its way to a 10-point win over Wake, 20 to yeah. 10. And then some weirdness as Colorado State goes on the road and does what USC couldn't do, and that is beat Boston College. Yep. Also, Akron making the short trip over this one's strange i was i mean i was very high on pit not that this was a an acc game but yeah strange Akron makes a short trip trip over to pit excuse me and uh beats beats the panthers at home yeah no chad voitick down game james connor didn't do anything exceptionally well and akron a team that's i guess been giving people fits giving people trouble this year uh made penn state look pretty ugly for most of that game so akron certainly improved from where they were um and I, that's about everything I have to say about Akron. Texas A&M 35, Arkansas yeah. 28. Oh, that's so nice, Bird. <laughs> Dan, we talked about it on Wednesday. Arkansas was going to release the Kraken against A&M. They were going to run it directly at A&M, force yep. them to stop it. They were going to try and eat up the clock, slow the game down. They did a pretty damn good job. Even got yeah. some big throws out of Brandon Allen, which is something mm-hmm. they've desperately needed for two years now. The Hogs led this one 28-14, headed into the fourth quarter. You could argue Kenny Hill, or is it Kenny Trill? What are we calling it's him? QB Aggies. I call him QB Aggies. Okay. Yeah, he gave himself his own nickname, so I tecmoized his name. I don't know who you're talking about. I assume it's QB Aggies. Anytime we talk about uh, Kenny Hill, we'll play this. QB Aggies. Yep. QB Aggies didn't find his rhythm until the fourth quarter. Did it in a huge way. Yeah. Two long touchdown passes, 86 yards and 59 yards to tie the game up. As you mentioned, the defense held. The defense came through in the clutch. QB Aggies threw another touchdown in OT to give AM a 35 to 28 win. And look, Arkansas is not a team you want to play, Dan. They're going to no. beat you up. They're going to yeah. beat you up. They're going to fight you. We can make fun of Brett Bielema all we want, but he is building Wisconsin South at Arkansas, and he was able to execute that game plan. It's just that mm-hmm. A&M got enough momentum late to win this one in OT. Yeah, Arkansas might be the worst team in the SEC West, and they are a legitimate top 25 team, I would say, at this point. Definitely. To be able to go and, and take it to Texas A&M, how they did with two, I would say, A-list running back running backs, excuse me, and Alex Collins and Jonathan Williams. Uh, Brandon Allen, as you mentioned, he made throws. He is not going to take our, he's not a BCS level quarterback, something that Arkansas probably should have within the next couple of years. I don't know who that will be, but you would assume that as a perennial SEC West decent team, you should be able to track somebody like that. Uh, QB Aggies, as you mentioned, a nice day, had a froze. I want to say it was probably a safety. The TV angles never really show too much. Froze a safety with a sort of fake to uh, to a running back on a swing pass, then hitting somebody up the seam on a huge, huge play late in the game. It might have even been on fourth down, third or fourth down. Uh, was was quite impressed with the touch he showed and the 
sort of varied wide receivers who step up. I mean, Eddie Pope. I, I can't say Edward. Ed Pope. Ed Eddie Pope. Pope, whatever. Um, he had a very, very nice day. A lot of big plays. He had a couple long runs. Uh, Josh Reynolds, very nice. Even the, the guys we expected, obviously, Speedy Noyle, a non-factor coming off of his injury and saw limited time. And Ricky Seals-Jones, pretty much a non-factor. They're just so deep at receiver. It's just a different guy each week. And if you're a five-star receiver in Texas, you're like, hey, I'm going to Texas a and or Baylor, and I'm getting the ball. That's terrific. So... Texas A&M, a very nice win, especially considering their defensive struggles these past couple seasons, really locking down the red zone, really locking down Arkansas and, and forcing long third downs and forcing Brandon Allen to throw in the second half and in overtime. So that's something I think we wanted to see. I don't know if Texas A&M at this point is that top. What were they going into this game? Number six in the country? Six They're probably the, the eighth or ninth best team in the country right now. Um, and with the SEC West, I don't believe the sec west has lost to a team outside of the sec west no not yet i think they've lost three times all within conference so um it's they're just going to to rough each other up so but i i saw a lot out of texas a&m to say that like hey they're not just a bad south carolina team and three essential nobodies right now uh and all of a sudden they're a top seven team it it felt a little bit inflated before this game but i'm, I'm willing to believe them as a, a top eight or nine team right now uh, they're, they're a good team they're a top 10 team for sure yeah. i think people they still are, have their flaws people are still i i think a little too high on a&m and look we're going to find out a lot about the aggies in the next couple games at mississippi mm-hmm. state this coming week yep then home against Ole Miss, and then the following game on the road against Alabama. So there's your yeah. there's your your season right there. Let's see what you're made of. Three games in a row on the road against Mississippi State, home against Ole Miss at Alabama. On the flip side, Arkansas they have they have six ranked games and one unranked game left on their schedule. It's a very tough schedule. And on the flip side, you've got Arkansas yeah. going into a bye week, three and two with. Get this schedule remaining Bama, Georgia, Mississippi State, LSU, Ole Miss and Mizzou. That's seven bowl caliber teams to say the absolute very least still on the schedule. Uh, You know, Arkansas might not be a bowl team, but there is no doubt at the end of this season, they are significantly improved from a year ago. They are headed in the right direction. I'll ask you this about Arkansas with Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Ole Miss all at home in Mississippi State and Mizzou on the road, uh, excluding UAB, just in terms of what their SEC West schedule looks like now, which I, I mean, granted, it's the SEC West, SEC West and they have Georgia over under one point five more wins in conference. Wow. I'm inclined think, to go. I under. think they're good enough to beat Georgia because I think Hudson Mason is super duper average. Yeah, they're good enough to beat Georgia. That was the one that that I saw. I I don't want to get too excited about Mississippi State. The defense is legit. Yeah, the, Dak Prescott looked really good. The defense is legit, but let's see what they can do this coming week. I'm going to um, say over. We're going to go over. I'll take under. Okay. What do we? Let's bet a sandwich on it. All right. Premium toppings. Premium toppings. Will uh, when are we going to see each other? Dallas. We'll see each other before then, Ty. All right. I'm crossing my fingers. Crossing my toes. You've got under. You've got over. I've got under. Correct. Again, your final. A&M 35, Arkansas 28. Yes. QB Aggies throws a 25-yard score in overtime to win this mm-hmm. one. Okay, Georgia 35, Tennessee 32. Dan, was this a shootout? Do we call this one a shootout? 
I think so. It was a slowly paced shootout, but yeah, there were enough points and especially on the ground between uh, Jalen Hurd and Todd Gurley there, it was almost like a, it was ground forces of a shootout. I don't know if we can adjust the title of that, but uh, it was, it was a lot of infantry action. World of Warcraft. Yes. I don't have a sound for that. Um, we sort of glossed over this one. If only Justin Worley was better, we could call him World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah, look at that. If only he actually he had a really nice game against Georgia. So let's call him World of Warcraft right now. We, we sort of glossed over this one because Georgia was a huge 18 point, 17 point favorite. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's lines both suck. In hindsight, we clearly overlooked three things. That is that Georgia hadn't really proven it could throw the football with Hudson Mason and still hasn't. Still hasn't. <laughs> maybe never will. Right. There were a ton of articles in the build up to that South Carolina game about Hudson Mason could throw and how Mark Richt was going to take the leash off him and let him do, let him do his business. Mm-hmm. And I guess he did. But still, he does look like he's super average at this point. I think maybe we overlooked that. Secondly, Georgia still hasn't really proven it can play any defense, which, right. you know, they bring in Jeremy Pruitt from Florida State. And things seem to be headed in the right direction before the start of the season. They might be the favorite in the East and, you know, haven't really played that much defense. You kind of get the impression they might win all of their SEC games like 38, 35, 35, Mm -hmm. 32, 35, 31, somewhere in that range. Not a good recipe. And well, the SEC East is a little bit better. But yeah. And finally, Tennessee is pretty damn feisty. You can never, ever overlook that. This is a team that plays hard. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go down without a fight, especially in a game like this. And, uh, 35 32 did this score surprise you at all it it surprised me a little bit i really hadn't seen anything to to be confident about in hudson mason or the georgia secondary was a little surprised the georgia front didn't play better especially in the first half of this game uh ultimately not all that surprising if you're going to give freshmen sophomore redshirt freshmen opportunities to play high level four or five star blue chip types that tennessee has they're just going to get better over the course of the season or you will find people that amongst that group that will be getting better and we see these guys whether it's you know pig howard whether it's um i'm trying to remember i mean jalen Hurd obviously had a very nice game in the backfield ethan wolf made a couple of big plays for tennessee eventually these guys get better and better and having not seen anything from hudson mason in the georgia secondary it it's it's believable that Tennessee is able to make this noise. Their their offensive and defensive lines obviously still relatively green, but showing flashes, showing improvement, obviously opening up holes for Jalen Hurd to sort of pace this game. Uh, and my God, Georgia one of ten on third downs. Tennessee wasn't that good on third down, but Georgia one of ten. That's how you give the ball back exceedingly quickly and get your defense, which is already sort of a question tired as hell. So that I think played a big role in it. And yes, you're absolutely right. Tennessee is that team that's, that's improving over the course of the season and will be dangerous against just about everybody. And we didn't even think Justin Worley was that dangerous. And he comes out and has a very nice day. And I, I mean, it's, it's one of those obvious things, but you know, no team has a, you know, Georgia doesn't have the turnover advantage. I think they each gave a, had a couple turnovers. Um, neither team was particularly bad in terms of penalties. It was just Tennessee's ability to keep drives going and, and just sort of confuse Hudson Mason, who it's very strange that Georgia doesn't have a good quarterback playing. Georgia should never have below average quarterback play. Well, and you know, it's funny because I was on the way to the aforementioned wedding while this game was uh, being played out. And I went back, I buzzed through it this morning just to get a feel for what happened. But real time, I was checking Twitter and read dozens of people saying, just give Gurley the damn ball. 
Yeah. Give them the ball. Clearly, this is an effective strategy. If you now find yourself in a situation where Hudson Mason's not able to effectively, uh, you know, get the job done, just give Todd Gurley the ball, 28 carries, 208 and two touchdowns in this one. Georgia is able to survive, but it was a lot closer than I think any of us expected. After Saturday, I would be I would be very pleased and I would welcome Todd Gurley, Carlos Williams, Amir Abdullah, Ty Montgomery, um, Alex Collins. I would I would turn them against ISIS on behalf of the United States of America. <laughs> on the United I would States. I would I would unfurl all of those exceptional and strong and scary people against ISIS. That's what I would do. <laughs> okay, that that's phase two apparently. Also, the the commander is not going to be David Shaw. No, it it will not be David Shaw. Missouri twenty one, South Carolina twenty. Dan, this one, not so much a shootout, a little bit more of a uh, slugfest. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. South Carolina must have heard our comment about yeah. it being October in September, or at mm-hmm. least potentially October in September. And Dan, they lowered. The boom. Listen to these passing numbers for Maddie Mock. 12 of 34, 132 yards. Now, he came up big in the last couple minutes. He he gave Steve Spurrier a little love tap on his way out of bounds. You see that? I did. That had to be on purpose. Um. Yeah, he, Steve Spurrier took a bad angle. Let's call it that. <laughs> took a bad angle. South Carolina dominated this game for about 52 and a half minutes. The defense came to play. Listen to this. After Missouri scored on its opening drive, listen to how it did offensively. Okay. Missed field goal. Punt, 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 punt. There are so many punts here. There's 10 straight punts after the missed field goal. And then somebody lit a fire. Under Missouri, they score two touchdowns who win the game. So no, that that's what it is. Essentially, if you would if you had told me that, yeah, Matty Mock is going to not complete anywhere near half of his passes and Missouri is going to go two of 16 on third downs on the road against. I mean, we'll call South Carolina a pretty good team, not easy. Good. They're not an easy place to play from good. But yes, not an easy place to play, especially in a spot coming after losing to Indiana at home, suffering the injuries they suffered on both lines, Uh, a beat up team. I would say, well, South Carolina won that game 34 to 17. Cool. Nope. Missouri with no power backs ran the ball really well. Marcus Murphy and Russell Hansborough, South Carolina's defense, still a number of questions, especially late. This is a a defense that actually did look good for three and a half quarters, but unfortunately that's not going to cut it against a decent enough Missouri team. That's not good enough. So it's, it's insanely indicative of a survive and advance game. I have no idea exactly how Missouri survived, but the, the running game paced themselves. They were able to get a push on South Carolina and able to, to push, can we call it hmm, cock blocking? Ooh, yeah. Is that? <laughs> I think is, we can go with that. Is that appropriate? Can sure. I, I, I feel like that's, it works. I feel like the, uh, the cock FCC. Cock blocking. Would, yeah. Did you come up with that on your own? I did. I, just well, now? I, was gonna, I just now. I was going to say something about um, pushing the Gamecocks back, and I was going to go block the cock, but I mean. Cock blocking is cleaner. It is. It feels a little bit cleaner. Um. And it's not it's not the newest thing to make no. game cock jokes, but I stand by it. Dan uh, made a cock joke. How about that? Yes. And, and it, it, the big example, and we mentioned this in the opening show, opening of the show, is just that the SEC East at this point, I would say it's Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri. 
I would say it's Florida after that, just above Kentucky, and then both of them are probably a considerable distance from from Vanderbilt. Yeah, the SEC East is back up for grabs. But those four teams, it's it's a an interesting square robin. Square robin. Yeah, it's I mean, not a round robin, but it's an interesting square robin. Because any of those four teams can beat any of obviously with South Carolina and Missouri going down to the wire can beat any of any of each other. You could argue that all of the top teams in the SEC East are going to finish with two losses. Easily. Yeah, absolutely. You can make that case. All right. Elsewhere in the SEC, yeah. LSU and Auburn win quite comfortably. Kentucky mm-hmm. wins. 17 to 7 over Vandy Dan the Commodores with just 139 total yards in this game and I was just looking through the roster yeah and you know forgive my ignorance if you're a Vanderbilt fan but Wade Freebeck Ralph I mean who are these freaking guys for for Vanderbilt I should know this but Wade Freebeck yeah, I mean, they were trying to go with like the two quarterback system and they just can't find anything that's working. It's going to take I don't know if it's a Derek. I'm obviously not close enough to the program to know if it's just sort of Derek Mason in over his head. High, hired coaches that are just not working out for personnel. It is just it's a mess right now in Nashville. And again, even though you were probably not too happy with James Franklin at this moment, um, if you are a Penn State fan, but understand that there are depth and talent issues everywhere and that he will probably correct those things. This is making him look insanely, again, insanely. It's my word of the day. Yeah. Competent as a coach. Wade If not, Freeback. coach of the year. Yeah, can perhaps. They give, can they give James Franklin coach of the year for being a former Vanderbilt coach? That's just what it would say <laughs> on the plaque. Former Vanderbilt coach James Franklin. It wouldn't mention anything about Penn State. But oh, just God. as a, a Coach sort of Emeritus? A, yeah, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Ole Miss dominates Memphis. They win 24-3. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as saying dominate. That was a 7-3 game into the fourth quarter. Memphis had 104 total yards. Memphis had 104 total yards, but they they picked off, I think, Dr. Bo a couple of times, and they hung in that game. They played good defense. They turned over Ole Miss four times. First time ever that Ole Miss is going to host college game day this coming week. I, it's going to be a beautiful episode. There's a lot going down. A lot going down. The Grove and Oxford, yeah. Next weekend at 3.30. Yeah, and Ole Miss, by the way, could be the worst SEC West team and a top 10 team in the country that's undefeated. Wow, you're low on them. I'm not. I'm saying if you're going to sort of structure the SEC or if there's an SEC West hierarchy, I think Ole Miss at this point, because Boise State is looking worse, and that's like that's their signature win, right? It is so far. Lafayette, Vanderbilt, Memphis, and Boise State just got trucked drilled by uh by air force See, this so. is tough for me to listen to because you know that old miss is my kryptonite and i'm gonna take them to know. beat alabama and, next week and this and this is like when i say that they're the worst sec west team i'm not saying they don't deserve to be a top 15 team yeah it's it's that it's not a, a down on old miss thing it's an up on the sec west thing all right let's move on let's go to the pac 12 mm. stanford 20 washington 13 dan lock of the week <laughs> Now, I didn't watch this game, but you did. You're better for it. Yeah. Give me your takeaways. And um, if you could, let's say this, mm-hmm. please state your responses as Stanford can beat Notre Dame because blank or Stanford won't beat Notre Dame because blank. So you want a customized review of this game I'm looking as it for, relates to you. I'm looking for a tailored capsule as it applies to me. 
Okay. Well, as I do with a lot of these games, I mean, I'm flipping back and forth with the, the multiple screens and, you know, you can't watch every play of every game. That'd be impossible. But I, I will know more by the time we do the show on Wednesday previewing the game because I will have seen this game on the, the Pac-12 and 60 where they just at, go play to play to play. And let me throw something else out there. Yeah. You know, we do this all the time. We watch multiple screens at the same time. Mm-hmm. And have- look, I'm not going to act as if you can see the... <laughs> Uh, X's and O's of every single game when you're watching multiple screens, but you can, even if you're mm-hmm. flipping, get a pretty good sense for who's winning and who's losing. Even if you don't sure, see you the get score. a sense for the rhythms and like, yes. So that's uh, all very important. Uh, both of these teams are train wrecks offensively. And there's a lot to be excited about both of these defense. So the fact that it was relatively low scoring, uh, even if it were in, even if it was in, uh, in Washington and that, should give some sort of advantage to Washington in terms of scoring, getting in a rhythm and maybe uh, Washington's crowd taking Stanford's offense out of it. It was not the case. Siler miles is 61% of a quarterback approximately right now. He is very raw despite having time in the system. Uh, Stanford was able to really, I mean, consistently stop Washington on the ground. Um, And these teams were both in terms of play calling in terms of big moments as a combination in concert of head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback, whatever offensive lines, the, the intellectually, these two teams were incredibly bad. It was three and 12 and five of 18. If both of these teams, this was, this was part of a note. I wrote, if both of these teams combined for eight of 30 on third down, not to get too numbery, they would combine to form the 126th <laughs> best offense on third down in the country. That's not good. 26% no. on third down. So um, it, it was as expected. Every single time we went back to this game, it felt like we were seeing a punt or a third and eight pass go for two yards or something to the effect of like these two teams are playing for a close, ugly win. And that makes for a bad football game. So to project Stanford, because obviously I think their ceiling is higher in terms of a, a Pac-12 championship run, a playoff run, whatever the case may be, even with the, the loss to USC. Hogan is good. He is not anybody you're going to feel super confident in his ability to beat a good team at this point. I don't know if it's regression or if it's because he has two exceptional receiving options in Kajust and Ty Montgomery. Uh, Montgomery had a fantastic just truck over everybody run for it was under 20 yards. It was like a 17 yard touchdown that it was amazing to see. And that was essentially his day, his entire day as a receiver. Uh, Devin Kajus is a great option. You would think they would do better in the red zone just because of those options, but there's just something not clicking between in the passing game in the ability to get tough yards. I don't know what it is for Stanford, but their defense is good enough to keep them in and or win any game they play that red zone offense needs to do better. If, if they can consistently score 27 points a game, I don't see how they lose, but I have major questions about that. As for, as for Washington, it just seems there's communications issues. Chris Peterson is, and his staff are still getting to know the talent and how to best use them. Yeah. That was my question. Like what is Washington's identity at this point? Do you have any sense for that? Yeah. The identity is they have a fantastic front seven and Marcus Peters, when he's not making dumb decisions is a fantastic cornerback beyond yeah. that. They, they have eight or nine really, really good players on defense. They've got small, fast receivers on offense. And I, it's, it's just me making that sort of text shruggy face that you see on Twitter all the time. I have no idea. And it's a shame because they're wasting Danny Shelton. They're wasting the defensive line uh, and they're wasting, uh, you know, Shaq Thompson at this point, not to pile on to Michigan, but he's got, three defensive touchdowns which is one or two more than michigan has offensive touchdowns against power five conference teams they have 
they they did such a good job steve sarkeesian and his staff steve sarkeesian justin wilcox of recruiting and developing those guys and now chris peterson and his staff are getting the best of them and doing their own development on defense but offensively they are maybe secret tire fire like you just sort of smell them from afar and you're like is that that burning rubber what what is that it's like a stink bomb my having a stroke like i don't know what that is but yes and at the closer and closer you get to it you realize that washington has atrociously bad offensive issues right now well 20 to 13 your final score here right around the number of the line that we posted on our wednesday show was eight some people probably could have found it at seven depending where yeah. they look but at least within the microcosm that is the solid verbal, mm-hmm. your lock was correct. So good on you. 20 to 13 again was your final. Stanford goes on the road and wins. They've got a tough one on the road, which we'll talk about on our Wednesday show. Moving on, let's actually go back in time mm. to Thursday. Yeah, let's do that. Lock of the week. Dan, the solid verbal, a collective six and O oh on locks for this past week. Now, not bad. We had a double barrel lock going on between you and Chris, the capper with Washington. Mm-hmm. So maybe only five games, but nonetheless, six and oh, collectively. My lock was UCLA over Arizona State. UCLA was on the road. It was a four point spread. I like UCLA here to win this one big. It didn't look like it was going to go that way in the early goings. ASU jumps out to a very quick early lead with like those. Was it like an ink blot on their helmet? What what was that? Did you see that? Uh, those those were flames. Flames. Poorly executed. No. I would say. Are you that serious? Was, those were flames. And you know what? I really I the the new pitchfork and the new combinations that Arizona State has. I I mostly like that special flame look that for the Thursday night. Not not good. It looked like modern art. It didn't look like a flame. Yeah, it was not not for me. Anyway, big anyway. plays led UCLA back into this one and ultimately to a 35 point victory. Your final again, 62 to 27 Ishmael Adams and 95 yard interception return Mm -hmm. at the end of the first half, which basically broke this game open moving forward. A huge backbreaker for ASU as they were driving late in that first half. Adams also had a 100 yard kickoff return later in the game. There were a couple 80-yard touchdown passes in this one for Brett Hundley, mm. who had a big game, 355, four touchdowns through the air. You know, um, not going to pretend that this was a stout defensive showing for UCLA. Right. We didn't expect that. No. Oh, from UCLA? From UCLA, no. Uh, I think it was fine considering how often that they gave, the, how quickly they gave the ball back to ASU. I think it was fine. It, it was fine. It wasn't stout. They had some hiccups early on in that game. But the offense, I thought, looked a lot better. They gave Brett Hundley time. He was able to throw the football. And again, not to say ASU is a juggernaut defensively because they've got a lot of turnover. But still, I thought this was a better UCLA team. It seemed to me like they had turned a bit of a corner coming out of that bye week. If you want to describe UCLA's Thursday night performance as perfect, if one were to describe their performance as perfect, all things considered, uh, you know, they gave up a bunch of yards through the air, but, you know, Arizona State was throwing from behind most of this game, Uh, especially as it relates to Brett Hundley and his performance through the air and on the ground coming off of the elbow injury he suffered against Texas. Uh, coupled with how well UCLA was able to use both their offensive and defensive speed in special teams, wherever. I can't argue with that adjective. 
in the context of UCLA's season, this was a perfect performance going on the road against a granted, not good defense, but a decent team. Taylor Kelly injured, but Arizona State still with options on offense. I would say the the sum of UCLA's evening was near perfect. And this is what we expected from them against, albeit decent teams like Memphis and Virginia. Arizona State has a should have a talent level that's slightly above Mem- or not slightly it's above Memphis and maybe a little bit around Virginia if not better and with a healthy Taylor Kelly it's probably a different game in terms of how much UCLA wins by I don't imagine Taylor Kelly's beating this UCLA team but um this is what we wanted to see it's it's disappointing that it took until essentially October yeah but this should excite UCLA fans this should make UCLA fans confident in their ability to move away and separate themselves from teams that are clearly inferior. Uh, I don't know how much confidence it should give UCLA fans and teams that are on that same level. I still have questions schematically about the offense and Hunley in big games, but this was the step forward that UCLA fans were looking for from essentially every single facet. So huge win for UCLA and uh, is it, it makes the PAC 12 season, especially the PAC 12 South more exciting coupled with USC's nice win against Oregon state. Uh, even though Utah choked away what appeared to be a win against Washington state last night, Colorado certainly looks improved. Cal looks decent. Stanford's defense looks decent. I yeah. think it was, it was a big statement for the PAC 12. Uh, I'm a little bit sad that it happened at like one 30 in the morning, Eastern time, because more people, you know, it, it does truly bum me out that more people across the country did not see UCLA's breakthrough game because it was, it was damn impressive. Tough to watch on a Thursday night when you've got work the next day. That's absolutely true. And good news. Another top five, another top 20 team for the PAC 12 kicking off at 10 30 this coming Thursday, Arizona, night. Oregon. Yeah. Fantastic. Start that game at nine o'clock, idiots. We should mention, by the way, that uh, the replacement for Taylor Kelly, a gentleman by the name of Mike Bercovici, a very nice Italian name. Mm -hmm. 488 and three touchdowns in a losing effort for from Calabasas, California. Wow. Yeah. Didn't go to Calabasas High because he's smarter than to play football Calabasas High. But yeah, from Calabasas. Good for you. Okay. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, Cal edging out Colorado, 59-56, a double overtime game. Double overtime game. We both took Colorado here. Um, But a a, a nice sign, I think, even though they didn't win, that they're competitive. Did we play the shootout music when previewing this game? Uh, We didn't play the – we can play it now. Please do. You know, we didn't preview this game. This was in our uh, regular lightning round of games on Wednesday. Okay, so I watched – uh, on and off a lot of the second half of this game on, I think, my iPad on a coffee table. So yeah. take that for what it's worth. No, it was on my laptop. Excuse me. Um, both quarterbacks, seven touchdowns. That's fun. Here's a name you should know that maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Nelson Spruce, a fantastic receiver, almost 20 catches. 19 in that catches? Sort of, yeah, in that Paul Richardson role. Um, amazingly enough, uh, Chris Harper and Bryce Treggs were not the the best receivers for uh, for Cal. Uh, that that honor goes to Steven Anderson, who had big play after big play. Uh, these are going to be fun teams. These are going to be affecting teams. They're not going to be com- keep competing for Pac-12 South teams, but they are going to be affecting that race. So I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, all of the yards, none of the defense. They'll get there defensively, both of these teams. But in the meantime, the least you can be for Ty and for myself is entertaining. And just thank you for, for just not being the big 10 
Just be. If you're going to be bad at something, be bad at defense, throw the ball around, score a bunch of points, go back and forth, and make people say, ooh. Okay. Elsewhere, USC beat Oregon State by 25, and yeah. uh, Wazoo, kind of a surprising win over Utah on the road, 28-27. So yeah. Maybe a bit of a look-ahead spot. I think Utah has UCLA on deck. Not sure if we'll be able to preview that one in the coming week, but... Uh, I'll do it. Despite your objections, I will preview that game. Okay. We'll yeah. talk about that on Wednesday. That's a threat. I'm going to preview a decent game. Big 10 football time, Dan. You have to bleep that time. <laughs> Big 10 football. Let's start with the... You know, it says a lot about the state of the Big 10. Mm -hmm. When, as you look across at all the scores and see Minnesota 30, Michigan 14, that that is now the lead story for yeah. the Big Ten. And it really is. Clearly, this one was the nail in the coffin for Brady Hoke, the final nail I, I, in the coffin has. for Brady Hoke. It, it looks like this team has quit on him at this point. Just 88 yards of passing between Shaggy Shane Morris and Devin Gardner. Mm -hmm. And this is a story now, too. Shane Morris took a bit of a licking. Yeah. And was put in the game to keep on ticking. Afterwards, Brady Hoke was asked about this and sort of gave a noncommittal answer about, well, I don't know if he was concussed and he's a tough kid. Right. He wants to play um, on top of everything else going wrong in Ann Arbor in terms of football. Maybe not the best look for Brady Hoke, Dan. No, definitely not. And it's it's impossible to know. And he is obviously one of the more disconnected technologically coaches. He doesn't have a headset on. He's not communicating with the, the numbers of people, whether it be up in the sky or whatever it is. He is, you know, all of his focus, all of his energies are onto the field, which is on a, on a certain level interesting and different and throwbacky, I guess. I'm not super impressed by it. Um the the point that has to be made is I guess there are two points. One is that he should be more cognizant of what's going on and knowing about his quarterback in a game like this coming off of a hit and knowing and having people tell him what's going on. And two, the medical staff, it is their job to immediately evaluate people that they see as being injured and they see as being questionably healthy, whatever the case may be. And there was not that attention. There was not that communication. You saw him wobble around and go back into the game to keep playing. He was carted off the field and Brady Hogue was like, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't see. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if he's concussed or not. I don't care. It was, you know, Shane Morris was not treated like the, the football player and the responsibility of the coaching staff and medical staff that he should have been. And that's, that's the big shame. Uh, football wise, Michigan looked terrible. We expected that not probably to this level, but can't pass the ball could run the ball a little bit. Uh, defensively, they were just pretty lukewarm. If that's, yeah. um, I was watching this game with her friend, Nicole Auerbach and some friends and she's on the big 10 network has studied these games, previewed these games and Mitch Leidner, the quarterback from Minnesota, she was like, he physically cannot throw the ball. <laughs> like there are injuries <laughs> and issues that he is having and it is known well. And it's just, he is not the person that is going to be throwing the ball through the air. He didn't do a fantastic job through the air, but he was serviceable. He was sort of flipping it on a, on a play action pass for a touchdown. Like Michigan basically lost this game to a quarterback who had a physical enough issue that people were openly saying, yeah, he, he might not be able to move the ball from point A to point B. He might be better lefty this game. That it's an, an entirely possible situation. Man, unbelievable. I think I, it's what it's what we've seen of Brady Oak is he's done. Yeah, he, I, I mean, he's toast. He's got to be. And the, the interesting thing is what Dave Brandon's status will be because he is not 
uh, and sort of been embraced at this point, even though he is a Michigan man. Um, he has not acquitted himself all that well. Uh, when you look at the, the business practices, when you look at from a PR perspective, when you look at the fact that Brady Hoke was a hire that he made, um, I don't know what they do. I honestly, I can't for the life of me imagine why Jim or John Harbaugh, which is the Michigan fan fan base. And, you know, I could be entirely wrong. Why would you want to move on from a championship NFL situation like both of those guys are in to play to, to coach Michigan football. Well, you know, Ugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has a tendency to burn himself out if he stays in one spot for too long. Yeah, I can't he, wait till he has to start convincing 15-year-olds to consider Michigan as sophomores. That's He's going to love that. The point, though, is that Michigan's not going to get Jim, John. They're not going to get Les Miles. They're not going to get any of these names that we've heard about. Right. I think unless they change the athletic director situation. I think Dave right. Brandon needs to be the first domino and then yeah. after that it'll be Brady oh, was Hope. that a was that a, a pun yeah you like that that was you like that what i did there? sailed right over me i didn't I even got... write that one down i just thought it up i pun goalied it well done firing up the pun gun here anyway <laughs> brady hoke would seem to be on his way out still yeah. though <sighs> seems oddly <sighs> defiant doesn't he yeah well what else what do you i mean he's not going to be defeated i mean you go out with your your chest all i mean it, lo- it looks it's all right to have Better, pride, guess, but he just he seems, job, he seems defiant to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm all it's right. one of those things where you, you do it your way. I mean, so you, if you're going to lose, do it lose your you way instead of losing somebody else. Look at you crooning away. Let's move on. Yeah. Ohio State probably Never loving this Michigan fiasco, by the way. Uh, I think it's one of those things. And at first and i am not an ohio state person at first they were probably delighted and to to bathe in the michigan of awfulness i don't know but at this point like it's not i mean it's not fun to beat a terrible team and to make fun of a ter- at a certain point there there comes that threshold where it doesn't become the the most fun thing to do so i i would imagine a lot of ohio state fans would rather beat a good michigan team 56 to 13 than a bad one 56 to 13 ohio state thumped Cincinnati 50 to 28 a great game for JT Barrett another great game for Ezekiel Elliott Ohio State 710 yards of offense in this game Cincinnati simply could not stop them Daniel right Ohio State covers the point spread uh Gunnar Keel my boy Cincinnati didn't turn the ball over which just speaks to just how bad their defense is really bad yeah, it's exceptionally bad, and it's a shame because Cincinnati is a is a nice offense. Chris Moore was fantastic with the big plays for them. Gunnar Keel, uh, something like 350 yards, uh, efficient with the ball, is a, is as good a quarterback as we figured he would be if he landed in the right situation and yeah, was developed good. correctly. He's good. Um, you want to hear a funny story about Cincinnati? Please. On Friday, I was contacted by ESPN Radio in Columbus to come on and talk about the Cincinnati-Ohio State game. I said, sure, you know, I can promote like SB Nation, the solid verbal, whatever. I like doing that. And I I agreed to come on the show and then I get on the show and they're like, we're joined by Dan Rubenstein, Cincinnati writer for SB Nation. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, this is taking a turn. And like in a a much more on a much more serious note, they asked about uh, the Cincinnati player who died, the the walk on running back in a, a motorcycle crash on Friday. And they're asking about how that affected the team. And I, you know. I'm I'm a decent enough bullshitter. I was I I said right on the outside I'm not that close to the team. You know I would imagine that you know they're gonna be playing with heavy hearts, whatever. And then they proceeded to ask me a bunch of questions that I could answer as somebody. Who, I mean I did preview this game on Easy Call, and so I, I you know I was 
I was very familiar with matchup keys and things like that and what Ohio State needed to do and what Cincinnati needed to do just from a, a broader sense. And they started asking me questions like, if you had to, to single out Cincinnati players on defense, that'll affect this game with Ohio State's, you know, inexperienced offensive line. Who would you single out? And I just was like, ooh, ah, uh, ee. Kind of like and, them all. And just, <laughs> you know, you're not going to know these names because they're, you know, they're new. And, I, you know, I, I did, I didn't try to fake, and try to invent names like, oh, you got to pay attention to uh, Steve Jacobson. Um, but it's like somehow wires got crossed and I'm a Cincinnati expert now. So that happened to me one time when I did a uh, a, a podcast for an unnamed team. OK. And it, it wasn't like you're a writer right. for this team, but it was someone who was very in the weeds about this particular team. And I very much wasn't. Right. Sure. And so I found myself in a very similar situation where I'm like, yeah, um, I kind of like all the players. I can't just pick one. You know, it's, it's very different. We, we do a lot well, of talking. Pod, this, was, this was a podcast. It was a podcast. At yeah. least that's not live. No, it wasn't live. It wasn't live. Right. But, you know, we do enough talking where I sure. feel like we could talk our way into yeah. or out of a lot of these situations. But that's not to say it ever is comfortable when you right. find yourself in that spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Ohio State, Ohio State takes it to Cincinnati. They win by uh, 22. Nebraska wins big over Illinois. Amir Abdul. I want you to tell me why Amir Abdul makes you a better man. He had 208 yards on the ground, Dan, in this win for Nebraska. Yeah. And finally, he was not asked to do too much. Obviously, didn't take the ball that much in the second half. Amani Cross came in and he had over 20 carries or something like that. But coming off of his uh, coming off of the Nebraska win last week, where he had, he had something 30, 35 carries that started to worry me. He was he was right at 200 yards in the first half. He was in Illinois defense isn't anything special, but he was exceptional and just finding holes, hitting, hitting them hard. Um yards after contact were big the confidence that he had in not just his offensive line but the offensive system and his own abilities was i mean i don't know how to it's a joy to watch amir abdullah is that good and uh as we don't have a ton of confidence in tommy armstrong as a trigger man throughout the big 10 season i think they have michigan state this week the fact that they have very clearly the best running back in the big 10 uh apologies to i don't know whoever else you might think it is but it's not um Amir Abdul is fantastic and he's a Heisman candidate. And uh, I, I liked, I mean, I can't find a thing not to like about this game. They were, you know, Nebraska or for Nebraska, at least I can find plenty of things. I didn't like if I were, if I were Illinois, starting with the West Lunt and his, his health. Um, I, I would want to see Nebraska, Michigan state as soon as possible. If, if I were a big 10 fan, hoping to prove that the big 10 at least has a couple of saving graces at this point. And as Nebraska gets healthier, they become very clearly more and more of a threat. Michigan state hammers Wyoming. They looked like they were going to score about 80 points until they yeah. eased off, off the gas here. Michigan state, by the way, a big game this coming week against Nebraska, mm -hmm. which we will preview on Wednesday. And the other big one sure. coming up is, is Maryland, Ohio state. I think that one's going to be a fun one. Maryland, Ohio state for sure. Maryland, by the way, went to Indiana, huh? Yeah. Huh? Huh? Let, big let down spot. Lock of the week. You had this. What's up, Maryland <laughs> going to Indiana, let down spot for the Hoosiers. They rolled one up on Indiana on the road. Beats Indiana at home. That was yeah, my I'll, lock of the week. Also, Indiana's defense is tremendously bad, and you shouldn't believe in Nate Sudfeld for more than two or three weeks in a row. But uh, nice to see Stefan Diggs and Dion Long after, 
I would say for them and perhaps the expectations and what they had shown as a, a relatively high bar for performance, nice to see them both going over 100 yards, both breaking out as they should have against an Indiana defense ahead of the Ohio State game. It's an encouraging sign. Uh, Melvin Gordon rushes for 181 yards. Melvin He leads Wisconsin to a victory over a very pesky USF side. Improving, game. yeah. 27 to 10 was your final here. I, I know that caught some people off guard, but um, Melvin Gordon did the work. Tanner McAvoy is still very much a work in progress. He was okay. He was nothing. all right. He was all right. He wasn't. I was he okay? Yeah, Wisconsin. I think we got we got a tweet about this. Maybe I I don't remember where we saw it. Secretly average, secretly bad. Yeah, I mean they took a long time to heat up in this game. They they, they finally did wear down uh, USF in the second half, but three all at halftime, and just you you want to see more considering the individual talents on both sides of the ball for Wisconsin, and they're just they're very they're a slow thawing team. Okay. I'm go with that. Um, yeah. Rutgers killed Tulane. They got a win. Iowa goes to Purdue and wins 24 to 10. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Penn State losing at home on homecoming 29 to 6 to Northwestern. Not the best. Borderline embarrassing mm-hmm. for Penn State. I saw our friend Herb Hand took responsibility for this on Twitter. Like he needs to take responsibility. It, for was, it. it was a, it was an underwhelming performance from that offensive line, though, to say the least. Oh, it was. it's not Herb Hand's fault, but. Clearly, the line needs to be better. Penn State has played five games now. They've only been able to run it once, and that was last week against UMass. Otherwise, it really has been a struggle to get yards on the ground and to keep Christian Hackenberg upright. Mm. I know you were waiting for this correction. I was kind of holding out hope that it might not happen, that Penn State would improve, but sooner or later, it's going to get you. And in this one, it got him in a big way. Penn State just looked, looked bad from start to finish really really bad 29 to 6 they lose by 23 at home yeah and um i mentioned slow thawing with wisconsin i hope the ice packs that are probably draped all over christian hackenberg right now are not thawing i hope they (laughs) remain cold and treat his his bruising because it was it was really ugly he was hit consistently in this game and it was it was tough to watch if you're a penn state fan i'm sure and on the flip side northwestern looked good in all phases of this game they turned Penn State over. They were good on third downs. They they were able to move the ball at least to the point where they could separate themselves. I mean, it seemed like even though, what was the score at halftime? Like 14-3, 14-6, something like that. Yeah. Felt oddly over. Yeah, it really Felt did. Felt oddly over at that point. I was like, well, there's no way this offensive line is good enough today to score double digits, 17 points. There was just no way to 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 envision that and it speaks to the depth it speaks to the health i you know i'm positive that penn state once they're able to to fill the scholarships because james franklin is going to be able to recruit well everywhere on the field including offensive line that they are going to be a year in and year out contender for the big 10 but yesterday and this season is is not they're they're almost like I don't know if this is an insult because they they were a borderline top 25 team, although I they really didn't look too strong in any of the games they played in. Uh, they'll be affecting this year in the same way that Cal might be. Yeah, I could see that. They're a more complete team than Cal, and they'll play better defense than Cal, but they are not going to, to compete for anything this season. They'll be affecting. Play calling needs a little bit of work, too. Yeah. James they'll Franklin, for all of his excitement, for all of his recruiting advantages, 
has not necessarily called any masterpieces thus far. At right. times, they've looked a bit unorganized. That'll get better. And that, but And that team is built differently than what he hoped for, and he's making that transition. You don't want to all of a sudden Absolutely. run spread Absolutely. tendency team with a, a pro-style uh, depth chart. But it's, uh, it's a big-time transition year, and I think everybody sort of convinced themselves of that secretly going in. Finally, let's go to the Big 12. Yes. Baylor, 49, Iowa State, 28. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a late touchdown, a 51-yard touchdown pass from Sam the Baller Richardson. SB. SB Nation, SB Richardson. To Tad Ekby, my new favorite name in college football. Mm. That's mm-hmm. what covered the 21-point spread. Otherwise, this one was all Baylor. Bryce, Bryce Petty looked really sharp. 601 total yards for the Bears. A ho-hum win. If anything... You know, you don't like to see 10 penalties. That's not good. They need to get better. But this was Baylor's first game against, like, real competition, if you want to call Iowa State that, and to go on right. the road in Ames at, at night, not, not a horrible showing. You could do a lot worse than this. Yeah, a little bit stale from Baylor. It, it felt like they were, yeah, as you said, like going through the motions kind of thing. Shocklin would have had a nice day. Uh, obviously, they've got three, four, five receivers that any one of them could step up and have a nice, a nice evening as... Corey Coleman, Goodley, who we've seen a lot of. Katie Cannon, the young guy, had big plays or yeah. just relatively nice possession plays, if nothing else. Um, sort of like when you have stale bread, and you're like, well, let's make let's make croutons. Yeah. Uh, or you have like stale bananas, like, ooh, let's make some banana bread. It sort of felt like that for, for Baylor on the road against Iowa State. Like just a little bit off, but at the same time, Bryce Petty still has a ridiculous release. They still have talent everywhere. The defense was, I don't know if you saw the the left-handed shovel awfulness from, yeah. from Sam Richardson. Sam, excuse Baylor me. was able to pick. Sam the B. The baller Richardson. Sam the baller Richardson. Um, yeah, it was, it was a kind of win. It was an off night-ish at times for Baylor, but they're so good that they're able to make, you know, make lemonade. Make lemonade. Is this a banana bread performance? Can we coin this phrase? Oh, I would love that. Banana bread Baylor. Banana bread Baylor. Yeah. Okay, we're going to roll with that. I'm going to jot that one down. So I don't I'm more of a pumpkin it. bread man myself, but I don't really have stale pumpkins laying around. So the banana right. bread analogy felt a little bit more, more apt. All right, elsewhere in the Big 12, let's yeah. talk a little bit about Texas. <laughs> Dan Rubenstein, this was your first of two locks. Homage. Yeah. Texas shuts out Kansas 23 to nil, essentially curb stomping charlie weiss this wasn't mm-hmm. I, can you really even take anything away from this for texas football against kansas because kansas was just so much in the pits to begin with defense did what they should have done and i think you can take away the fact that texas offense still isn't very good because this kansas team is terrible and texas's offense did not look like it was playing against a terrible team they were fine they did enough to win three yards a carry against a really bad kansas team not acceptable. Um, Tyrone swoops shows steps being taken forward and makes still makes a couple of dumb decisions for being as highly touted and given the expectations for him. Obviously they're beat up everywhere, but the fact that they're not moving the ball, the fact that the offensive line is nowhere near well will be, and obviously dealing with the attrition, Kennedy Estelle kicked off the team after multiple suspensions, but even still, uh, there is, there is still a long ways needed to go for this Texas offense. If they can't beat Kansas, 42 to 14. I am I am worried about the rest of the year. A transition year for for Texas. It is. It is a yeah. transition year. 
And uh, contrary to what Paul Feinbaum might have to say, I do think Charlie Strong will not be a failure at all. I, I think Charlie Strong will do well. Uh, I think more of it's going to be on uh, on Sean Watson and the offensive staff, Wickline, all those guys, and and what they're able to do in terms of evaluating players, yeah. recruiting in state when Baylor and Texas A and M have done so well and are so much sexier and more attractive as destinations for top level talent. But there's a there's a ton to go around. All right, K State hangs fifty eight on UTEP. And yes, they do. The bigger story here was the Big 12 conference telling Bill Snyder to retire some of his old windbreakers that had <laughs> bowl logos on them because yeah. the Big 12 no longer has. <laughs> I mean, what a ridiculous Buffalo story. The Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl doesn't exist. The Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl does not exist. There were other bowls that um, he had windbreakers from that apparently no longer have contracts with the Big 12. Therefore, they asked him to not wear those anymore, put them he back in the closet. them in. Broken in the breakers. Yeah. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I guess that's the, the only story to take away. It's, I mean, SMU is completely slaughtered by TCU. Um, SMU, I don't know. God, they scored, what, 12 points? this something crazy. 18 <laughs> points this year? SMU might be the worst team in college football. They're terrible. They need, they need a, a young coach who's going to spend two years recruiting and not talking about anything else and hope for the best from there because it did appear June Jones in certain facets was just checked out because this team is so listless and uninspired. He steps down uh, beyond that to talk about the big 12. I mean, the, the, the actual game that probably was the most intriguing was Thursday night with Texas tech and Oklahoma state. Did you watch any of this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Run the ball against Texas tech people. Yeah. Run the ball. Oklahoma state took too long to realize that, but a nice wire to wire offensive day for Oklahoma state, terrible uniforms for Texas tech, terrible defense for Texas tech. Um, obviously with their own transition and um, firing their defensive coordinator for yeah. reasons that aren't completely clear, except that Cliff Kingsbury said it wasn't performance-based. Dax Garman looks pretty exceptional, but so should every quarterback against Texas Tech. And uh, would would have liked to seen would have liked to see more from Oklahoma State's defense over the the four quarters, but um, certainly a team that we feel good about in their own transitional year, but um, with much more to like about their own depth and abilities than, than most that you're saying transition about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they went on Thursday night, 45, 35, I believe over mm -hmm. Texas tech. Yeah. You mentioned TCU shutting out SMU 56 to nil on the road. TCU, a big one next week. They've got yes, Oklahoma they at home very quickly here at the uh, end of the show. Let me read off some of the games for college football week six we've been touting this now for a full week but mm -hmm. thursday night oregon at home against arizona correct go to saturday a&m on the road at mississippi state ohio state at maryland notre dame at home against stanford oklahoma on the road at tcu auburn mm -hmm. hosting lsu michigan state versus nebraska at night then you've got asu going to usc you've got utah going to ucla you've got Ole miss hosting Alabama, hosting game day for the first time in program history. And all of that, all of that is secondary, of course, to the big night game between Lafayette and Fordham. East Carolina. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. What I haven't even looked ahead yet. Harvard, Georgetown, Bucknell against something called Bryant. Holy Cross, Colgate, Lafayette, Fordham. It's basically my past against my present, Lafayette, Fordham. Yep. Oh, Heart-wrenching. We'll see what happens. I'll do my deep dive. We've got a big slate of games, Dan. Really big slate of games for sure. 
that's gonna it's gonna be enormous. You're welcome to watch this game with me, Ty. I, well, I won't. What, be what are your plans to. on Saturday? I, I have some plans that I'm not gonna divulge. I have what? more. I have more wedding stuff that I need to take care of. Ty. I will be watching these. I'm gonna have like eight screens, but earlier in the day, I have I have some things I need to to take care of. This past week was an actual wedding that I physically needed to attend. This coming week, I do need to address some things for my. Uh, Can't we just send Tommy Reese in your stead? He looks like you. He's not super busy. Does he? Yes, he does. He throws more interceptions than I do. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely I, true. I saw something at a wedding this weekend that I've never seen before. What is that? Um, a gentleman at the reception. Clearly, if you looked into his eyes, if you gazed into his stare. As you were wont to do. Yeah. You could see that he was probably a few too many Captain and Cokes deep. Yeah. There was definitely a bit of inebriation going on there. Didn't have that natural inebriation energy that Uncle Joe has without the actual drinking. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. So this gentleman had a um, what looked like a you know a dress shirt. He was he was mm-hmm. wandering around. Had it untucked. Sometimes oh. dress shirts can run a little bit long, and this one Classy. ran really long. He looked like Mister Hyde. Um, I saw him in the corner, and another gentleman had his sleeve, and they were kind of like trying to pull the sleeve i couldn't quite figure out what they were doing right the man in question then proceeded to go to a table Mm -hmm. took a butter knife and had his buddy cut off both his sleeves of the dress shirt with a butter knife and how is this person did you do any any investigating how is this person person related to the wedding i don't know i know i have no idea no idea so you did not pursue further information you know, he wasn't in the wedding you know probably right. a cousin or a friend or something but like you that, weren't but. like you didn't go up to like who is who's this guy no didn't i didn't although he picked up the butter knife relatively closely to where i was standing and at that point my only two thoughts were he's going to stab me or he's going to stab someone on the dance floor au contraire just cutting off his sleeves like he's rick wild thing vaughn in major league one my first concern was protect your pipes ty well the moneymakers protect the pipes yeah i mean I look know. at you solid verbal host. never seen that before i i can i have a a non-pat league and a pat league lightning round in may so right let's now. go non you want to go, go non? non first yeah i just want to say fresno there it is sorry there's Continue. that sweet weather fresno state won a game it's their second really really sort of pleased about that good for them iowa beat purdue you should never watch the game ever no, don't. ever 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 um Outside of that, you mentioned the Colorado State thing. I think Colorado State could be secretly pretty interesting. I'm okay. going to say that right now. Jim McElwain's Rams, pay attention to them. I want to mention Yale. First Ivy League team since the 80s to beat an FBS team. Takes down Army in, in overtime. Yeah, good for them. Uh, their quarterback is a Clemson transfer. They're, they have a running back, Tyler Varga, who had like a, just hit the game-winning touchdown. He had like five touchdowns. So we've been talking about small schools. Their mascot, once again, is named what, Ty? <laughs> Handsome Dan. Well, there it is. I mean, that's no accident that I've been saying handsome Dan for three straight weeks on Pat League update games. And there it is. Right. Uh, Akron beats Pitt. We mentioned that Navy goes down to Western Kentucky secretly getting better. And, and Navy not. I mean, aside from the the lock you had a couple weeks ago has not looked all that good. Um, you mentioned Virginia winning. I, I'm still thinking somewhat decent things about Virginia. I don't know what to say. Um, there's not a ton that I don't think we, we didn't touch on, but I'm ready for that sweet, sweet Pat League action. 
Oh, Ty. At a certain point, you're going to start listening to me. Or not listening to me, but Colgate, who you've been big on, Georgetown, goes down, scores nary a point despite having that live bulldog action. That sweet live boy up. Fordham Rams laying waste to Holy Cross, entering the cross dome. New York City's one true team, the Rams. Big matchup, as you mentioned earlier, but I just, I can't, I can't see Lafayette walking away. But I'll do my research, I'll do my due diligence, because okay. Lafayette walking away at home evens themselves out to two and two takes down Wagner a bit of a, a scare in the third quarter but ultimately they they pull away from Wagner and the the wag men can't be all that happy with it but it happens Lehigh doing their part to embarrass themselves Lehigh though going into the, the Yankee Stadium year yeah not, not looking all that fantastic and of course in the battle of the Nels hello I'm now that's my impression of Jody Foster's Nell. Bucknell, the Bison, take down Cornell. I don't know if they go with the Z sound for Bison in the way that North Dakota State does, but let's just assume so. Uh, big Red moves to a big O and two. Cornell going into the Ivy League season, not looking all that good. Next week, as you mentioned, yeah. huge, huge week for everybody nationally. That does not, that sentiment does not end in the Pat League because Lafayette traveling to the Bronx for. I mean, the first of two times this season going against Fordham Colgate goes and hosts Holy Cross away from the cross dome. Of course, Georgetown, Harvard, Bryant, whatever they are. Yeah. Hosting the Bison of Bucknell, the four and O Bison. When does Bucknell, when do Bucknell and Fordham play? Each other? I have no idea. I'm looking that up right now because that they look to be the class. That is the class of the Pat League. That's Friday, November 7th. Yeah. So it's a Friday night game. I can't imagine it's televised nationally, but something to pay attention to as, as Bucknell and Fordham on a collision course. Where Bucknell, is that game? They're the, the Bison and the Rams. Similar sentiment. Um, that game is at Bucknell. Oh, no. I'm, I take that back. That game is at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, okay. Once again, hosting a, a giant Pat League matchup. Who'd have thought? All right. Well, thanks again. Jerry World East. To everyone right. who uh, who called in here. Yeah. 48verbal1, 48verbal1. Feel free to hit us up, solidverbal at gmail.com. Find us on mm. Facebook and FanCred. And on Twitter, we'll post some of your tailgating photos here on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash solidverbal. We'll make it our cover photo. Mm. Over the span of the next week, you know the drill. We will be back uh, on Wednesday to preview all of the week six action. Probably going to be a little bit longer show for us just because there are more games than we've been used to here over the first five weeks, but Will we uh, charge anymore for this show. It's um, because it's going to be a, a mega show, perhaps, perhaps with a guest. I'm still going to say free. Oh God. It's called. It's all coming up for baller. Everything's coming up for baller. Dan. Everything's coming up for baller. All right. You go get some rest. I, I have a busy day ahead of me. I have easy call to write and, and be wrong man. about. Yeah. I'm going to go drink some chamomile tea, see what I can do about this raspy voice. Get situation. that honey drizz in there, Ty. For that guy over there, Dan Rubenstein. For myself, Ty, here in good old Eastern PA. Thanks again for tuning in. Catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Stay solid. Peace.